During the Christmas season, the world is humming the spirit of Christmas. I am humming. If, if you want to know why I am wearing a sweater when it's 75 plus degrees outside, I like to call this sweater wishful thinking. <laughs> wishful thinking. <clears throat> no, in this sermon series, we're going to be focusing our attention on a couple of songs, a couple of carols that I call the carols of our faith. And we're going to illuminate what we just told the children, the most wonderful story ever to be told. And today, the carol that we're going to spend time talking about is probably some of your favorite of all of the songs we see during Christmas. It's the song, Holy Night. Now, I want to give us some context behind this carol, and then we're going to sing it together, and then we'll move on into the sermon. So the song, Holy Night, was actually written in the mid-1800s. Oh, I went way too far. There we go. In the mid-1800s. Now, what's interesting is the song was actually began as a poem that was commissioned by a parish priest. He went and he went and found somebody who was a good poet. It was a merchant by the name of Placid Capot. Now, what's interesting about Placid is that Placid was not a Christian. He didn't go to church. In fact, he was known in town to be a hellraiser, but he was a good poet. And so the priest goes to Placid and says, hey, I have Luke chapter 2. Can you write me a poem based off of it? Placid did as he was tasked, and he loved the poem so much that he went to his friend, who was also not a Christian, who was also a hellraiser, but was a good musician, and said, can you put music to this, to this poem? And thus was composed, for the very first time, Holy Night, the song as we know it. And it became just as popular as it is today. It spread throughout the Catholic Church, amongst churches all over that region, until a few years later, some people found out its origin story. And they tried to shut the whole thing down, saying, you can't sing this song, it was composed by non-Christians. But by that point, it was too late, and it had already become a classic. Here's another known interesting fact about this carol. Five decades later, in the year 1906, a man, a Canadian professor by the name of Reginald Facidian, did what most people believe to be the impossible. For the very first time, with a generator and a makeshift microphone, he plugged it and broadcasted the very first AM broadcast on radio waves in the history of the world on December 24th, 1906. And the very first things that went out onto those radio waves were Luke chapter 2, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. And he read the Christmas story in the Bible and then pulled out his violin and played the song that we know to be for the very first time, a song in 1906, Holy Night. Let's sing that song together. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt his worth. A thrill of 
the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees oh hear the angel voices oh night divine oh night when Christ was born Divine, oh night, oh night divine. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chain shall he break for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymn of joy, in grateful chorus raise, we let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim his power and glory evermore proclaim. It is difficult for us to imagine what it would have been like there on that holy night. You know, today we think of the nativity scene. And I don't know about you, but I get really emotional when I see the nativity scene. Maybe because on our walks, we get to see it, me and the boys, every evening. This is one of my neighbors who put a nice glow-in-the-dark nativity scene up, which is nice for when we walk at nighttime. And every time for throughout this month, we walk by this nativity scene and, and Arlo is at the age where he identifies and says, look, Dada, a baby. And every day this month, I get to say, son, that's not just any baby. That is our savior. That is Jesus. I get emotional. I'm sure you have your own emotion attached to the scene. I mean, it really is a remarkable moment. You have baby Jesus, you got Virgin Mary, you got Joseph, you got cows and they're lowing. I have no idea what lowing means, but they're lowing, they're doing it, they're there. You got the whole scene and it's just, there's something about it that captures our imagination. But if we're being honest, and we like being honest here, this 
snapshot scene doesn't really do it justice to what that night really would have been like. I mean, the reality is when you think about it, you have a teenage girl who's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, which brings on a whole other slew of questions we're not going to answer. But if anything, I'm sure there's a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress, a little bit of worry. You have her probably teenage fiance, and they're riding on the back of a donkey. Imagine this, nine months pregnant, Elizabeth's like, "Mm mm-mm, nine months pregnant, riding on the back of a donkey. Darian was in an ambulance with medical professionals around for our second birth. That was enough for me. Can you imagine it? 80 to 120 miles only to arrive, and you know the story, there's no room. All of the rooms have been booked. It is completely packed. And so they go to what many scholars believe is a hole in the side of a cliff. We call them caves, where animals would go to find refuge from bad weather. It is one of the worst environments possible to give birth. We're talking unsterile, no epidurals, and you just have to imagine a little girl screaming at the top of her lungs as she gives birth nearly alone in a cave. I remember when Darian was giving birth to our first son, Arlo, she did it completely natural, and I don't know why she did it. I don't know if it was a coping mechanism or whatever, but she explained what she was feeling as she was feeling it to me. And I'm like nearly about to pass out just thinking about what she is going through. And if you don't know, Darian and I, we had a home birth. So we did everything right there in our living room, which is a great conversation starter when we have people over for the first time. I'm like, my son was born right where you're sitting. They hate, they love it. They hate it. They hate it. No, they, they do hate that. Darian loves it though when I say that. So Darian's job that night was to give birth. My job that night was to prep the space where she would give birth, specifically what I like to call the birthing hot tub, which is essentially what it is. There's Darian in labor in the middle of our living room in a pool full of water. And it was my job to prep this pool of water, inflate it, find a way to get water inside of it, And as I am prepping the station, I have two thoughts go through my head. Thought number one, this is one of the most holiest moments, closest moments I'll be to God. I mean, I am prepping the space that my son is going to enter the world into, and I get to participate in this. And thought number two, and I'm ashamed to admit this, thought number two is I'm going to be the hero of this story. I'm going to get to tell everybody how amazing of a job I did at prepping the space so that Darian could just easily give birth to our baby. (laughs) Until it was time for Darian to get into that pool. So we have a doula. She's shuffling with Darian, ready to get inside the pool, ready to give birth to our child. And she says, hey, give me one more temperature check on that thing just to make sure everything's good to go. So I stick the thermometer in, I pluck it out, and proudly I say, we got a whopping 75 degrees in here, which is great temperature if you're middle of summer, by the, by the, uh, by the pool with a cold drink in your hand, relaxing. I guess not a good temperature if you're about to give birth. But nobody puts instruction manuals on inflatable hot tubs that go in the middle of your living room. 
And so I kid you not, I have a pool of water that I have to heat up as my wife is ready to give birth to our child. And I grab, I can't make this stuff up, folks, every pot and pan that we own. And I'm scooping out water, putting it on the stove, cranking the heat, waiting till it's boiling, bringing the boiling water back to the pool and pouring inside. And throughout the whole process, Darian is staring daggers right at me. And I have two thoughts go through my head. Thought number one, I've never been closer to God than than in this moment because Darian is about to kill me. And thought number two, Darian is the hero of the story and I will stick by that through and through absolute chaos. Back to our scene with Mary, equally, differently, but chaotic moment. There's screaming, there's panic, and it's all happening alone in a little cave as Mary gives birth to the Son of God. And now we get to our song, Holy Night. There's a phrase I'm gonna zero in on today, and I'm gonna do this throughout the series. Instead of us looking at the entire song, we're just gonna look at a small portion of it. And it will most likely be a portion, you're like, why are we talking about that part? And it's on purpose, because as you use this song to worship God throughout this season, throughout further seasons, is I want this phrase to pop off the page. I want it to stand out to you. I want it to invoke emotion inside of you and let it be your holy moment with it. The phrase in this song that we're going to focus on is this one, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Will you say weary world? Will you say weary world? There we go. Got to wake y'all up. There's two words. If there are two words that accurately describe our world today, I think weary world does a pretty good job. I mean, aren't you just, it just feels like the world is tired, just exhausted, anxious, on, on overdrive, bent up inside of ourselves between political elections and our local government, governments and finances and the economy to our own struggles, our own strife. I mean, I'm working with young people that I have to navigate conversations just so I don't set them off on something that they don't even know how to manage on their own. People are struggling all over. It feels like we're just trying to keep our head above the water and we're just weary. We're just tired. But I love this song, how it says, a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. Imagine in the chaos of that holy night with Mary and Joseph and baby and the cows and everybody there, that there is a thrill of hope, of anticipation of what is about to happen. That maybe, just maybe, this could be the Messiah entering into the world. The Messiah that we have been waiting for, that our ancestors have been waiting for, maybe it is happening right now. And then what happens? A weary world rejoices. And I pray to God that if there is a weary world inside of you, that you will experience a thrill of hope. That inside your weary world, you will find the faith to rejoice. Why? Because even in the chaos of the night, there is a new and glorious morning. It is coming. 
And every time you move forward in your day-to-day life, as you sing this song, I want you to not just be thinking about the holy night. I want you to be thinking about the day that comes next. The day in which Jesus is born into the world because everything is different because a day with Jesus changes everything. All right, so let's focus in a little bit more here. I want to talk about this new and glorious morning. I'm actually going to take you to Lamentations chapter 3. If you don't know where Lamentations is in your Bible, you can do the old trick where you like flip through, like, oh yeah, I'm going straight to it, and okay, Lamentations, there I am. You can do that. You can look in the table of contents. Nobody really preaches out of Lamentations. It's a little hard uh, chapter, book to preach out of, and it's not very motivating, but it's extremely important. So let me give you some context of Lamentations chapter 3. It's the year 586 BC. Jerusalem, the people, the city of God has fallen. Enemies have come and taken apart families, have taken apart buildings, have taken it all apart. People are about as distraught as people can be. And one of those people is a prophet of God, a spokesperson for God by the name of Jeremiah. And he's doing what everybody else is doing. He's lamenting, he's mourning, he's grieving the loss of his hometown, his own home, his own family and friends. They're all gone and he's mourning. That's the first three chapters. And then in chapter 3, verse 20, something happens. There's a shift. There's a change. A change from lamenting to a moment of faith. And that's what we're going to focus on. Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 20. I well remember them, Jeremiah says. And let's say this part together. And my soul is downcast within me. In other words, Jeremiah is not closing his eyes and plugging his ears to the reality of his situation. Like, no, 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 no. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. In my circumstance, nothing bad can happen to me because I have God. It's not what Jeremiah does. Jeremiah opens his eyes and recognizes the life-altering difficulties around him. My soul is downcast within me. That, for Jeremiah, is reality. But then look what he says, yet, yet, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I love this language of calling something to mind, meaning it's there. I know what is true about God's character and God's working in the world. It's just not at the forefront of my mind. I have to bring it to the forefront. And whenever I can dig back and find what is true and put it at the front of my mind, therefore, I am given hope. A hope that other people around me do not have access to because it's hidden. Because they are not bringing it forward. And then he goes on, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. This is what he's bringing to mind. For his compassions, God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And I say to myself, Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation 
of the Lord. It's amazing what a new day with Christ can bring you. Today, we are going to break down three truths. Three truths that will, I'm hoping, bring you a thrill of hope whenever you feel like you're consumed in the darkness. Whenever you are in that chaotic night, that night in the cave of pain and darkness, if it's now or if it's later, I want to bring you three truths that could bring you a thrill of hope. Truth number one is that a new day with Christ brings you exactly what you need. A new day with Christ will bring you exactly what you need. Notice, I don't say exactly what you want, but exactly what you need. Because what you want and what you need are often different from one another. Jeremiah says in Lamentations, uh, there we go. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 24, I say to myself, I say to myself, I bring to mind, how many of you every now and again, you have to talk to yourself about what is true? Like you have to be your own preacher throughout the week and like call these things out or go to God's word and allow his words to take over. Like we have these intrinsic thoughts, these toxic thoughts, these untrue thoughts. And here's a trick, pick that thought and say, hey, is this helpful to me? Is this thought kind? Is it actually true? And if it's not, if it's not any of those things, boom, I'm gonna throw it out. And I'm gonna call to mind what is actually true. For Jeremiah, it's this phrase, the Lord is my portion. What does that mean? The Lord is my portion. Why, of all the things he could remind himself, why does he think of this one? It can mean a lot of different things. I tend to agree with what some scholars believe that he is referencing the Israelites, God's people, whenever they're walking through the wilderness. This is after Egypt and the plagues and the let my people go and the parting of the Red Sea. And then they're in a desert. They're free, but they're in a desert. But God doesn't just leave them in a desert. He provides for them. He actually provides for them their daily portion of bread. It's literally bread that falls from the sky. It's called manna, which in Hebrew literally means, what is this? Because that's what you do if, if bread falls from the sky. You pick it up and you say, what is this? And you call it manna. So they took a shortcut there. And they have this manna and they eat it, but what happens if they try to hoard it? If they try to say, hey, we got enough for today and tomorrow, so God, we don't need you tomorrow, but the next day we'll need you again, the manna rots. It's as if God is trying to teach them, you need me every single day of your life. Or what Jesus says when he teaches us to pray, Father, give us today our our daily bread. To trust in you every single day. that you will give me what I need today, that you will give me what I need tomorrow. Because here's the reality that some of you need to hear. God is in your tomorrow. He's already there and he's given you what you need. Not what you want all the time, not what you think you need, but what you actually need. And it's learning to trust God. So in your marriage, if your marriage is struggling right now, you have to trust that God is gonna give you what you need 
to build your marriage back, both today and tomorrow and the day after that. If you are weak today, God is in your tomorrow and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you are down and depressed today, God is already in your tomorrow. He's waiting for you to enter that tomorrow so that he can bring you your joy. He can be the lifter of your head. A new day with Christ brings you exactly what you need. What you need is the presence of God, his reality, his strength, his power, his goodness. And so I say to myself, Lord, give me today my daily portion. Give me what I need today because a new day with Christ brings us exactly what we need. Truth number two, a new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going the hope, a thrill of hope, in fact, a thrill of hope in a weary world, a thrill of hope and faith when all we see is darkness, because that is exactly what hope is. Hope is the belief that there is a new morning coming despite being in the middle of the chaos and the darkness today. It's believing that something more is on the horizon, that I have other things open for me, even when all I see is darkness around me. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope, not just is around, not just is place other places, but whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Somebody once smarter than me said this. I thought it was interesting. He said, people can live about 40 days without food, about seven to eight days without water, about four minutes without oxygen, but mere minutes without hope. And I believe there are too many people today who are trying to survive in a hope-deprived life. They are struggling to put their hope in all of these places. We have our hope, God gives us hope, but then some of you realize you put your hope in the stock market, you may not always get a return on that. Some of you, you put your hope in your career, but then it falls through. Some of you, you decide, okay, well, I'll put my hope in relationship. Despite how good that relationship is, some relationships fall through or they don't match your expectation. Maybe you put your hope in what you think you need, but it doesn't follow through the way you think it should. And so what's happening is that we're putting our hope in all of these other things that don't come back to us that don't always return the way we hope they return, and then we look around and we feel hopeless. And we're like, yeah, this really does feel like a really weary world, a hopeless world. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anymore. I love what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. I love that imagery, to hold, to hold on to it, to grab a hold and to not let go. 
As Christians, we don't give our hope and put it in other things. We hold tightly to it because we have been promised by somebody who is faithful that he will come through, that he will follow through on it. But the challenge is today, I believe too many people, we are not holding on to the hope that we profess. Instead, we're holding on to a lot of other things. We go into the world and we pick up fear or anxiety Maybe we get really prideful about our work or we have doubts about our faith or we put it in our relationships or our career or we're just worried, depressed, overtaken by the world. And here's what happens is we try to navigate our entire life holding on to these things. And this is the state, this is exactly where the devil wants you. He wants you holding on your hands full, completely weighed down, because even, even if you wanted to pick your hope back up, even if you wanted to, to, it would all come crashing down, when the reality is that's exactly where it should be in the first place. God said, put down your fear. Don't be afraid. Put down your weariness and your anxiousness. Come to me, the one who can hold you up. Don't let go of your hope. Don't put it down. Don't invest it in something else. Those things are just weighing you down. Put them down. Let them go. Hold on to the hope that we profess as Christians. Hang on and don't let go. To this day, I can't get over the loss of a friend who did surrender his hope. It's been a dozen years, and I still think about my friend on a regular basis. A Christian man, good friend, who would have been a great husband, would have been an excellent father. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if he panicked in the darkness of the night. I don't know if he was in trouble, if he made a bad decision if he just got overtaken by the pain, but he took his life. He was my friend. He was a lot of people's friends. He was somebody's son. He was somebody's grandson. He was a child of God, and he let go of his hope. And I'm not naive. I know there's somebody, people in this room, you're in a very dark place right now. There may be even some of you in here who have a plan to take your own life. And I'm here to tell you that you may not know everybody in this room, but this is a community of people who love you, who will be a safety net for you, who will be your strength whenever you are weak. And it's a weary world out there. But I'm telling you, hold on. There's no shame. There's no guilt. There's only love. But don't do it alone. And don't give up hope. Don't surrender. Don't give in. Don't cash it in. Don't give up too early. Because if I could tell my friend anything today, it would simply be to not give up hope. That a new day is coming. 
that the sun will rise on you again, that you will not, you'll not feel the pain that you feel forever. Don't give up hope. Because a new day with Christ, a new and glorious day is coming and it will give you everything that you need. That it will give you the hope to get to the next day. And the last, the last truth is a new day with Christ brings the help that you're seeking. Here's the remainder of Lamentations chapter three. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There's some of you in here right now who you've been waiting for salvation for a long time. It may be on you, or maybe you're just now hearing about Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've put off the decision, but you've been waiting and it is here and a new day has come and I'm telling you, you don't know the difference one day with Jesus can make in your life. Others of you, your salvation comes from out of the darkness of the night and it's coming because you don't realize the difference one day with Christ can make. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus, dead as dead can be four days in a tomb. In fact, he was so dead that the King James Version literally says he stinketh. If you stinketh in the Bible, you're dead. There's no coming back from that. Dead as a doorknob and Jesus comes and rolls the stone away and says, hey, Lazarus, come forth, buddy. And on that day, a dead man walked. And I bet you if you would have asked Lazarus, he would have said, you don't realize the difference one day with Jesus can make. A woman bleeding for 12 years, spent nearly all of her money trying to find a solution. Can you imagine the torture? Public shame and humiliation, private suffering. Every day, she was saying, today's a day, maybe today's a day, maybe, maybe there's a solution, maybe, oh my God, am I gonna live like this for the rest of my life? Is this all I have? And then somebody comes into town a stranger, but she's heard stories about this man, Jesus. Man, if she could just touch the hem of his garment. And I bet you, after being healed that day, if you would have asked her, she said, you can't fathom the difference one day with Jesus can make. An invalid by the pool, basically born not walking, 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, and one day a stranger comes to that pool and leans down and says, do you wanna do something you've never done before? Pick up your mat. And I bet you with his mat rolled under his arm and walking out of that pool that day, if you would have asked him, he would have said, you cannot imagine the difference one day with Jesus can make. And some of you, you need to hear that. You need to take that with you throughout this week. You are in a weary world right now. We all are. Some of you are feeling it more than others. And I'm telling you, there is a weary, there is a thrill of hope and the weary world will rejoice. A new and glorious day is coming. Maybe you'll experience it, but maybe you won't in this life. But it's coming and it's ultimately going to be here. And you may look at your marriage today and think there is no possible way this thing can receive salvation, that we can save this thing and get back. And I'm telling you, 
You do not imagine, you can't imagine what one day with Christ can bring to your marriage. Some of you, you're sick right now. Your body's sick, your mind is sick, your soul is sick. I'm telling you, we worship the great healer and you cannot imagine the difference one day with Christ can make in your life. Some of you are weary, it's dark, they're screaming, there's no epidural, the baby's coming, the cows are lowing, still don't know what that means, but it's no fun. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the weary world, the darkness of the night, you remember, because Jesus is born, man, I can have hope in the night. Because the Savior is born, I can have hope. Because a new day with Christ will give you exactly what you need. Maybe not what you want, but what you need. A new day with Christ gives you the hope to keep going. One more day, one more sunrise, one more moment. Because a day with Christ will bring you the help that you're seeking. I want to give you one more verse. I want you to take this verse with you throughout this week. Write it down. If you don't have a piece of paper, write it on your arm. Take a picture of the screen and text it to somebody you know because I promise you they need to hear this verse too. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 11. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. Listen to this. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The darkness is nearly over because the sun will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because the Son of God will rise again. And some of you, that is the salvation of your souls. Others of you, it's the salvation from the darkness of the night. The day is coming when there will be no more night. The sun will rise and will forever be up. And the Son of God will sit on his throne and reign forever. And it all began on a holy night. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for you. And what you did on that night, even though you were in the form of an infant child, of entering the world as a savior and as a beacon of hope. And Father, I pray that we'll take the words from this song with us, a thrill of hope, a thrill of anticipation, a thrill of faith that maybe, just maybe, things will be different that one day with Christ can change everything in my life, that it'll give me exactly what I need. May not be what I want, may not be in the shape. There's darkness around me. It's not based on my circumstances. It's based on the power and the hope that you provide. So Father, help us hold on to that hope, to not let it go, to not invest it to something else, to not set it down, to not try to put it other places to get a return, but Father, to hold on to it as tightly as possible. Hope is the belief that better things are coming despite the chaos I experience today. Father, we're seeking you, and we know that this thrill of hope, a new day with Christ, gives us exactly what we seek. 
Help us believe it with all of our heart that one day with you changes everything. Father God, thank you for that holy night. Thank you for that holy night. Thank you for that holy night. We give you this prayer, Lord Jesus, and in your name we pray, amen.